ladies and gentlemen, hello, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, hasta luego, hasta mañana, hasta la vista, baby. We are we are thrilled to be the Voxology podcast, and we are thrilled to be invading your earbuds right now. It's <laughs> a weird thought. Like it's just weird that. Our voices are channeling through some sort of electric current into the your eardrum and that your brain makes sense of these words or does it? It's a strange magic. It's just, it's an outstanding process that we're delighted to be a part of. It's raining eerie. Timothy, that, that's, <laughs> yeah, you want to you wanna put away the cats and dogs if that's happening. <laughs> Timothy, John, you've had a gastrointestinal week this week <laughs> do you want to update the community just a little bit about how physically you're feeling because tim is very much under the weather today he's playing hurt ladies and gentlemen he oh. was on the injured reserve list and we activated him just before the game that's right yeah the stomach flu tore through our house this week it tore tore is the right word yeah i got everybody and i was fine all week and then and then last yesterday it got me it took me down well Save the best for last. That's right. And is it a 24-hour thing, or is it is it more robust? No, I think it's like 24 hours. It seems to be uh, it delineated out by age. So the youngest, it was the least terrible. Of course. And of it's course. kind of gotten worse as, as you get older. Uh, you know, and that is a, a metaphor for, for so many things. <laughs> <laughs> now... To what degree is the stomach flu a fitting metaphor for your soul these days, young Timothy? Well, you know what I found is this happened with COVID too, that everything targets my back now. Like hmm. everything makes my back hurt worse. My back, I, my back's already a little bit messed up, but. <laughs> um, so the kids are better. Shauna better. Yeah. They're all better. They're all back at school. Okay. You, however. Not so me. much. I'm feeling better okay. today, better than I did yesterday. Well, hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, so I expect, Timothy, your normal um, dose of witty statements inserted into my long rants. That's, that's what it'll as, be. As well as the taciturn reflections of a man fully comfortable with mystery and who favors Halloween as the best holiday. <laughs> just and, a little bit of a um, fever dream element to it today, that's all. Yeah, that's all. It's just a little fuzzy around the edges. Speaking of that, bro, I um, I'm watching Breaking Bad. I've never seen that show. My son, who's almost 19, which is ridiculous, so that means I had him when I was 10. <laughs> wow. Um, got into that show and is like, dude, you got to watch this show. So we're watching. I don't know how it ends. Um, some big stuff has happened as recently as last night. What season are you on now? And we just finished season four. This is arguably, so, I told Mike, arguably the best television show in history. I don't know, but um, I regret not knowing more chemistry. I just didn't know how handy <laughs> all of that all of that was. Maybe <laughs> so that's you the, put, all right. Maybe that's so the you line put, of work I should get into. Well, I mean, I'm just home. saying you've got the personality for it. Yeah. Um, you've got a bit of Jesse. We live um, out in the. We got some sticks areas out here that we could do a little cooking. Do you have an RV? No, but I could solve that. Okay. Um, 
I think so. So if you were to if you were pressed, Timothy, and I know our listeners are are you know Riveted. dying to hear this. Yes, this is why you can listen but, to podcasts at twice the speed. Yep, and and just or or I love the plus fifteen second you know little little <laughs> button. Past it. Yeah. So for for the two of you that are still that haven't fast forwarded through this, Timothy, what best top three television shows? Oh, geez. Yes. Yes, as a series, taken as a series. So Breaking Bad would be Breaking Bad's up near the top. Okay. Give me give me two more. The West Wing. Oh boy. I loved that when that was out. Yep. Yeah. I met him once in a parking garage, Martin Sheen. No, the president Bartlett. He's That's not what I Martin called Sheen. him. <laughs> <laughs> I think I got I think I got nervous. I saw him. He's really small. And I said something Bartlett, and he was with one of his son, his like non-famous son. He's like, "Hey, my dad just kind of wants to chill out." And I was like, "Cool." <laughs> I walked away. That's that was it. That's when I met the president. Well done. Um, it's hard because there's shows that I love, like Lost, that just fell apart. Right. That's why Taken as a series is where I was going. You know what series I actually really liked uh, mm. was the Daredevil series. That was on mm. Netflix, the Marvel one. Okay. Okay, that's fair. Some good threads in it. Yeah. All right. Well, there you have it, sports fans. Um, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Scooby Doo was a big fixture of my my childhood. (laughs) We watched Rescue Rangers last night. Perfect. No, I would say for reals, there was a remade Battlestar Galactica. Oh, that was great. That before it was on uh, Jim Halpert's lips, beats. Bears, Bears <laughs> Battlestar Galactica. So Battlestar Galactica was this sci-fi thing when I was just a little, little kid, like late 70s, early yeah. 80s. And then they remade it in the early 2000s, and it was phenomenal. That was really good. So that'd be up there. I mean, Breaking Bad, up there. No question about it. Um, uh, Better Call Saul. Well, yeah, that's what we got next. And I've heard that's great. Dude. He is such a great character. I can't even stand how much... I mean, he is by far my favorite character in, in Breaking Bad. Anyway. <laughs> uh, there's your dose of nonsensical banter uh, for the week. What would you say for movies? That's Top three an un- movies. unanswerable question. All right, well, let's I say... I watch way too many movies. Okay, but all right. Let's, three of the ones that have stuck with you. Like... One of mine is going to be Raiders of the Lost Ark. I will just stop perfect whenever film. it's yeah. whenever it's on. It is a perfect film. I used to say that my favorite genre of film was 80s Spielberg because it's like mm. there there would be like thriller elements, there'd be comedy, <laughs> there'd be like, you know, things that tug at your heart and then often like a little bit of a thriller or like a little bit of scary like yeah. know, Poltergeist or Goonies even though he didn't yeah. direct those but they're still very Spielbergy. Um Dead Poet Society will always... That movie kills me every time I watch it. I, I can't watch it. I watch it often. Mm. It kills me every time. Every time. Every time. Yep. Yeah, Raiders is big. E.T. is big. I mean, Starman, Lebowski, Pump Up the Volume, Say Anything. <laughs> Fantastic Mr. I Fox. I don't know. I love movies. I just went and saw th- the Northman. Oh, was that good? Yes, but it's brutal. So it's not a not I'm a solid fine. recommendation. But I'm fine with I'm fine with brutal. I don't mind historically. 
you know, so accurate, it's, it, it's really fun because it's written. So the guy, Robert Eggers, the director, he's, I love him. He, he made a movie called The Lighthouse, which was my favorite movie of that year. Defoe, and, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. He was, he should have, they should have given him the Academy Award and then canceled the Oscars for the rest of time. Wow. Which just ended there. He's amazing. But wow. Eggers wrote the script with this um, Icelandic poet. So it's got a lot of actual Icelandic lore in it. And I was just watching the interview with him and they all the way down to like how they built the houses. He does, he tries to do everything practically, Mm. but they learned like what kind of wood and how they put it together to build like the homes and stuff in the movie. It's just very, that's very brutal. So. Okay. So it's not a date night movie is what you're saying. I wouldn't take, I wouldn't take the wife. I mean, I'm going to throw out the original matrix. I just thought as a philosophy guy, I just mm-hmm. loved it. That was I was in grad school in philosophy when that movie came out, and it's like, oh my goodness, this is the, like the classic stuff <laughs> yeah. right here, and it's so stylized and well done. And then I hate to be, you know, hate to be that guy, but Gladiator. Gladiator Sorry. was good. I mean, I just Russell Crowe, man. Time Bandits. That was one of my favorites. Time Bandits. Now there's a poll. That was when I was a. That was the when Fisher I was King, yeah, all the Terry Gilliam movies from the eighties, yes. early nineties. Did he do Willow? Was that no? That was Ron Howard. Oh, okay. I remember Willow, the Neverending Story. Lucas. Oh, Neverending Story for sure. That's the best soundtrack of all time. Um, no, yeah. no, actually, it's not. It is best soundtrack of all time is Last of the Mohicans, <laughs> late nineties. <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis. I'll put Daniel that soundtrack. Lewis. I'll put that soundtrack up. Madeline Stowe. Yeah, you know what's weird is right before we got on here, I follow all these like Instagram accounts that are from like the 80s and 90s, and they'll just do like, this is a movie premiere thing, and the one today was Last of the Mohicans. Oh. So it's that so, whole 90s, like early 90s crew of actors. Michael like, Michael Mann with two N's directed that. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. Heat. Heat. Oh, bro. <laughs> you got Pacino. And you got De Niro sitting across from each other. You want to watch something really awkward? Go watch the Graham Norton show and watch. It, it's got Robert De Niro and um, Tom Hiddleston, who plays Loki, on it. And, Lo- and he's a huge fan of Heat. And before his auditions, he used to do both parts. And he does it for De Niro. He does Pacino and De Niro in the <laughs> coffee shop. It's the most awkward. De Niro's just looking at him like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. So this, dear listener, this is what we... This dear is what, listener. Yeah, dear, dear one. Dear singular, yes. Seth will be listening. Um, man, that was... I'm sorry, I forgot we were live right there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is what it sounds like. So anyway, hey, audience, we'd love to know what are your favorite movies? Yeah, why not? Trilogies count as one. I mean, the original Star Wars, how could you not... I mean. That just blew my mind as a six-year-old. Yeah, I mean, I usually, when people ask me my favorite movies, I say this will exclude the Star Wars trilogy, the Indiana Jones trilogy, the Back to the yeah. Future trilogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Those are just, you just take those and they can just sit in their own place. Yeah, yeah, that's that's rarefied air. That's That's gone beyond movies to like, like mythos, Yeah, you know? Yeah. Um... So, hey, everybody, I want to just, I got some people to thank. Okay. Stafford. Yeah. Um, it's a we, are, we are uh, a 501c3 
which means we're nonprofit and people who give, uh, it's tax deductible. And we're committed to being crowdfunded. And so we have this community of people who support the podcast. And we give shout outs to people who are new to that community. And so today I want to shout out Bob and Jenny and James for their generosity. And um, we dream many dreams, Timothy. And are a dreamer of um, dreams. we have a community of people that, that allow that to happen. Um, we do have a couple exciting things. We have a... Um, a renewed color palette? No, we don't really. But I just wanted to say color palette again. Um, we have some. We have some things. There's some things in the works, but we shall not speak of them yet. Um, namely, because we're not sure of what they are. But I'm sure they will be wonderful. Just percolating. Yep, they're just all up there. Um, you know what we're going to do today, Timothy? No. We we are going to avoid the stomach flu of podcasts. And what I mean by that is it's not just going to be a word vomit today. Oh, I've got a couple of lists. I've got some jokes. And it's we're just going to try to dial back the thickness of the steak, if you will. Oh, that's good, because I'm supposed I, to cut out red meat. Yes. Yes, you are. Absolutely. So, so think of this. If the past several episodes have been red meat think of this as um chicken a good grilled chicken with uh with a with a marinade um and some grilled vegetables okay all right because we're talking about a new word today timothy um two months ago when we started what was going to be a four-week series of episodes (laughs) we were interested in framing ephesians 2 8 through 10 reframing that um, text within sort of the big kingdom story that we've been exploring for a couple of years now. Uh, and if you don't, if you're not familiar, um, for it is by grace we have been saved through faith and it's not of ourselves and not by works so that no one can boast. It is the free gift of God. Uh, and then uh, I think 10 is like we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God planned in advance for us to do. And so the, the relationship between these four words, grace and works, faith and saved, um, uh, is, it's, it's kind of a, a, a vocabulary that is used to tell a, a story that we've been wanting to raise questions about. The dun, story dun, dun, dun. that, that uh, yes, that, that um, I am uh, a sinner, which is true. And that God is just, which is true, and that Jesus, that I'm condemned, and that in Jesus, Jesus takes my condemnation um, and punishment for sin, and that by praying a prayer, receiving Him in my heart, um, I am now given eternal life, which means life in heaven. And as we've said often, there are parts of that story that are true. It's just so tiny. And when it's abstracted from the greater narrative of the Bible, it really be, can easily become malformed. So the greater narrative of the Bible, in our view, um, is focused on God's kingship. And um, when you tell the God is king story, faith saved uh, grace and works, they, they turn out to mean different, kind of different things with different emphases than just the traditional accounting of the traditional story. So, saved has occupied our imagination for a while. Today, Timothy, it's faith. 
Yes. And um, when I hear the word faith, first of all, I think of Faith Hill. He used to sing the Sunday night, yes, Sunday night football song, George Michael. And I think of Faith, I think of Faith No More, a very underrated early 90s band. Um, When I I think of Faith, um, I think of... um, I have all these connotations about what biblical faith is that that don't turn out to be quite accurate. And so we're going to start today with a list. And that list, my friend, is what faith is not. Gotcha. All right. Now, as always, standard disclaimers apply. Firstly, I channel the work of a great many other people. I want to give particular shout out to a book by Matthew Bates. Uh, we interviewed him. It's called, uh, the book is called Salvation by Allegiance Alone. And um, that there is a thread of scholarship that he represents that includes the standards, McKnight in the King Jesus Gospel, N.T. Wright, How God Became King, among others, um, that I'm going to be leaning heavily upon today. The second disclaimer is um, you don't have to buy any of this stuff. Study it for yourself. I, I could be... I could reading be, rainbow disclaimer every time. Yeah, I could be dead wrong, right? I mean, I mean, we're exploring such huge topics, and I love the pushback last episode of why does it have to be so freaking complicated? Right. Um, and I, I, I've been thinking a lot about that, and I think it being complicated is a good thing, and it's a hard thing. Um. And so with faith, I'm just going to try to boil it down into one episode that's very clear and direct, and we'll (laughs) see how we like it. So what faith is not, all right? Firstly, it is not the opposite of reasoned assessment. Um, Sometimes faith, uh, I remember um, there were some, uh, let's see, when we lived in California, We had uh, some Mormons that we became friends with. They were Mormon missionaries and, uh, you know, part from their families. And and so whenever they would knock on our door, we'd invite them in and and we would just talk. And I love, I mean, I'm fascinated by religious stuff. And so we'd have these great conversations. And one of the things that they were taught to say if you raised certain kind of questions was, well, I just have this warmth in my heart. Mm. There's this testimony in my heart that this is true. And, and that kind of, the idea was that my experience of it makes me immune to any objective sort of questioning about it. And sometimes I think that's the picture of faith we get, you know, that faith is this thing that defies reason or is right. the opposite of knowledge. It's just this warm feeling in my heart and that's not the way the Bible portrays faith at all. Um, as we'll get to why, but but you know, in this respect, faith is not some um, mode of pretending to know something that makes us immune from all questions about it. <laughs> um, the second thing it's not is also some makes us immune from um, COVID. Well, bro, I'm just saying, like. I've tried it and uh, it failed miserably because <laughs> evidently I didn't have enough of it. I find your lack um, of faith disturbing. Yeah, oh, there it is. Well, now we got to reference all the movies that we were just talking about. <laughs> um, 
and Tim's Tim's mind is now fully engaged. He's gone. He's gone from fifteen percent engaged to eighty-seven percent engaged simply simply with that challenge. There you go. All right. So I find your lack of faith disturbing, particularly number two when faith is construed as a leap into the dark. Uh, there's this beautiful moment where in uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade where. Uh, the penitent man has three tests, and one of the last tests is literally the leap of faith. Yeah, and the idea that faith is sort of disregarding um, what is reasonable and what your eyes are telling you, and jumping into something that's you know that's not seen. And there's an element of truth to this, where um, uh, you know the author of Hebrews will say. Um, faith is the underlying substance or hypostasis is the same word that's used when like it says that Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. Faith is the underlying substance toward which our hope is directed. And so um, and it's the conviction about the reality of things that aren't seen. So there there's a bit of truth to the idea that take Noah, uh, it wasn't raining and yet we're building a boat. Um, and, and so there's a bit of truth to this, but very often Kierkegaard in particular talked about uh, faith being a, a leap into the dark or the leap into the absurd. Um, and I don't think that's how the Bible presents it either. Um, thirdly, faith is often presented as the opposite of works. And as we're going to see when we talk about faith, grace and works, that is so not the case. Um, I was always told and warned against trying to attempt to earn God's approval or merit my salvation. I think that is a very fair warning. But um, in overemphasizing that warning, we've construed faith to be something that's almost totally passive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, if, and if it causes us to act, we have to be careful that we're not acting for our salvation. And faith, as it turns out, is very something very active and action-oriented. And we'll talk more about that in a second. Faith is um, is also not, it, it can sometimes be construed as just a positive mindset. Like you just got to have faith about this. It's all going to work out. Um, that's not how faith is presented in the Bible either. And then <clears throat> a couple more that lean a little more controversial. Ooh. Faith is not 100% certainty. So, so faith for me, particularly by people who kind of come from a name it, claim it sort of background or prosperity background will equate faith and certainty. So if you name it and claim it, it'll happen, right? And if it didn't happen, you didn't have enough faith. And faith there means psychological certainty that something is about to happen. And they'll use that Hebrews verse I just quoted in kind of justification for that. Um, The idea that that and and Greg Boyd calls this the um oh what's he call it the strength tester so if you've ever been to a fairgrounds and you're in the arcade section where they have all the carnival games um and there's typically like a, a narrow sort of board with a pole running up it and there's a bell at the top and you swing this big sledgehammer as hard as you can to try to ring the bell at the top and it measures how strong you are supposedly and um boyd's point is that often faith is measured that way 
and you've just got to, your faith has to be strong. If you believe and do not doubt, James says, and so the idea is they'll, they'll, um, they'll take faith as certainty and doubt as uncertainty and, um, and say that, that the good thing you wanted to have happen didn't happen because you had doubts. And man, as we're going to see, that is so not true. When, when, you know, Jesus says in John 3, 16, um, uh, God so loved the world, he gave his son, whoever believes in him, the believing there is not be convinced of a certain set of mental propositions. Um, as we'll see, faith is not the opposite of doubt. And very often, Christianity is presented as a package deal where there are some core things you got to believe, but then there are all these secondary things that Christians disagree on, but it's presented like you gotta, you can't doubt any of any of it. Yeah. Um, or you're in trouble. And I just think that's a really damaging way to portray faith. Makes sense so far, Timothy? Yes, sir. So faith is none of these things. Couple more. Faith, uh, and this one gets a little confusing. Faith is not a profession of faith. All right, so we're gonna riff. We're gonna riff on this. All right, let's riff. All right, so Tim, I need you. Look at me. Look at me. Open those beautiful eyes. I'm here. I need you. No, you're no physically. Yes. Yeah, almost. Um, There's still there's still some. (laughs) Uh, And that's just not my head. He's referencing. (laughs) So there is. a philosopher. So we're riffing on the idea that um, faith is not a profession of faith. And there's a great deal of damage done to the Christian story when faith just means saying that you have faith. Right. Um, a philosopher named Michael Novak um, distinguishes between three kinds of convictions. All right. There are public convictions. Um, when I say something that I want others to think I believe, there are private convictions that are convictions that I think I hold but turn out to be illusory later down the road. And then there are core convictions that are revealed not by my words, but by my daily actions. So we wanna explore this. What I say I believe, what I think I believe, and then what I really believe is, gotcha. the, is the distinction he's making. Say, think, and actually do. Yeah. So so we're familiar with public convictions. This is virtue signaling. This is what happens on social media all the time. This is what politicians do. It doesn't matter what I really think about something. As long as I say the right words, right. my tribe validates my belonging. Right. Right. So, so um, these statements can keep the peace. Like, hey, you do look great in those pair of shorts. Um, <laughs> Um, but, but typically public convictions allow us to manage our image and to impress other people. Right. And in some social settings, like politicians, we just know the things they're saying they don't really believe, but they're saying them because we believe them and want to hear someone else say them yeah, back to it's us. It's like, like the required vernacular to be a part of the club and kind of keep everybody exactly. sure on the same page. Yeah. So at a Christian school, it might be, here's the statement of faith and here are the words you've got to use right. when you articulate the statement of faith. Um, it, it's like when, it, like a biblical example would be when Herod wants to murder Jesus, but says to the 
um, the Magi, hey, um, just curious, you know what, have, have any idea where this guy lives? And why don't you stop by after you've met him just to let me know exactly so that I can come worship him. It's like, no, you're saying that, but it, it just ain't true. And, and one of the real downsides of a very controlling, bounded faith community is that um, there's language policing and virtue policing Right. that goes on and so it encourages public conviction without any any reality or alignment with who we truly are yeah so public conviction is just what i say i believe private convictions are tricky because it's what i do think i believe but very often yeah it's it's shown to be false like i thought i really loved that person or i thought that person really loved me and in the moment you're convinced but as it turns out no you were absolutely Wrong. It's like Peter, when Peter says to Jesus, I'll never disown you. Like right. in the moment, he totally believed that. And then, of course, he goes out and, and does it. And so there's a lot of self-deception that goes into, um, and particularly when it's wrapped in religious language, around what I think I believe. Um, what I say I believe is one thing. What I think I believe is another thing. But um, Novak contends... Our core convictions, what we really believe, are only manifested in how we live. And so um, the way we map reality, so like like gravity, I, I don't have to remind myself to take into account gravity right. when I'm making decisions about jumping. <laughs> <laughs> right it's part of it's it's part of the mental map i have of the world it's right. just the way the world works uh to switch like uh disciplines in the workplace I, no one has to teach me how to um brown nose let's say um or or to make sure i get credit for the work i did right part of my mental map is that i have to impress my boss and so I spent no time thinking about that. That's just a core yeah. conviction. Like I'm vulnerable. I have to impress my boss. And so I live, or Voss, I live in such a way so as to be impressive. So, so um, like with electricity, I don't have to be convinced right. to be careful around it. It's just the way I see reality. Now, Novak, um, he doesn't make this point, but let's apply it. Um, so often in Christian circles, all we're interested in is the public convictions of somebody else. Totally. And yeah, I mean, we even say, hey, do you declare Jesus to be Lord? And because we're all imperfect and in process, well, I can, you know, I pray to prayer. Yeah, sure, of course, I believe that. But faith isn't that. Faith has nothing to do with what I believe. Uh, what I say I believe or what I think I believe, but it has to do with how I actually yeah. live. I can say I believe God is a provider and then I cheat you know, and steal my way to the top. I can say I believe that God um, is good, but then I spend all of my life worried about arranging the good life for myself. I mean, whatever, right? I mean, and yeah. we're all familiar with this. It's, it's the person that says um, you know, to their boyfriend or girlfriend, I love you. Uh, but then they abuse them, they manipulate, they never accept faults, they malign them publicly. It doesn't matter that you say you love them, right? right. So you'll, you'll get Jesus saying things like, well, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, 
right. on that day. And I will say, I never knew you. Or, or he'll say things like, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? <laughs> it, it would be like a spouse saying, well, you say you love me, but why don't you love me? Right. So, so one of the great tragedies in the Christian church has been mistaking faith for a profession of faith. Yeah, you could see that with the second category too, with even absolutely small yes. groups or whatever. Like these are we will treat what we think with what our core convictions are. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so, and and part of it, part of you know what growth in Jesus is is learning that the big show I would put on to impress myself and other people, um, that's all it is, is a show. Yeah, you and, can see why accountability fails and... Ah, yes! Yes! All that kind of stuff. Yeah, and that's why, that, that's why fruit, the evidence of God's right. work in somebody, can never be measured quickly. Yeah. Or by, or by numbers, or by nothing. It's, it's all in this... What are you core? What are the core convictions? Yeah. And of course, we don't start out as perfect, right? But that's the area that Jesus is interested in. And and for a lot of us, the story we were told is, hey, faith just means pray this prayer, right? Or faith just means come forward. And hallelujah, there I, I have no doubt, God does stuff with that. Um, I do. Of course, you do. <laughs> just doubts, though. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I have doubts. Yeah. I think there are better ways for sure. So, so faith is not um, a profession of faith. It's not the opposite of like being reasonable or assessing evidence. It's not a leap in the dark, not the opposite of works. It's not some sort of positive mindset. It's not 100% certainty. Uh, and then lastly, it's not good theology. Mm. Um, <clears throat> And obviously this ties into some of the other ones, but one of the really striking things you get in the the gospel stories about Jesus is that there's a lot of confusion about who he is. His family at one point, it says they they came to take charge of him because they thought he was out of his mind. Totally. His brothers and John, we read, his brothers didn't believe in him. His disciples had tons of confusion. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, you're the Messiah, but then he has to immediately correct them or he, you know, he ca- casts, uh, I was going to say, I was trying to say castizes them, but I, I, what wanted to come out was castrates them. And I just thought that's <laughs> That'd not be a twist. Yeah. Well, <laughs> good Lord, we're going to have to like put warning labels on this episode. And, um, and, <laughs> And, and so there are tens of, who are the crowds? All the crowds think you're a prophet, a dead prophet come to life. You're John the Baptist risen from the dead or whatever. Yeah. But the one group that always knew who Jesus was in the Bible are unclean spirits. Who, mm. and, and particularly in the book of Mark, if you read the first six chapters, all the unclean spirits are announcing to everybody who Jesus is. Yeah. He is, he is the son of the most high God. He, um, he had, it says, uh, I think in Mark three, he had to shut them up because they were announcing that he was the son of God. Yeah. Um, what do you want with us? Son of the most, I mean, over and over and over. They have the, they have perfect theology. Yeah. Better than anybody else in the gospel stories. Right. Um, and James even riffs on this when he's talking about faith and, and deeds, 
He's like, man, you believe that there's one God good. Even demons believe that. Right. So very often we think faith means having the right answers lined up, the appropriate mental furniture lined up, and then having psychological certainty that that's true. So these these definitions of faith can work in concert with each other to create uh, an understanding that what's required for my personal salvation is be- is knowing the right information, believing the right information, publicly saying the right information, but not having to ever really engage in any with any depth in that in the implications for that information for my life. Yeah. So um, all of that for those of us who've been raised in um, certain subcultures, man, all of that is obvious and we see it everywhere. Um, what Bates does, Matthew Bates, he 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 does he defines faith as allegiance and he makes this biblical case in the middle of his book for why allegiance is a much better word for faith than trust or belief okay so so it's the word pistis we're getting into all sorts of trouble here the word pistis or pisteo is another way pistachio Um, and it is pistachio is another form of that absolutely um, but his argument is that that word and its and the word group has three elements to it. The first element is um, mental affirmation, true. Uh, assert, you're certain enough to yield. Um, not 100% certainty, but it makes sense in some way, shape, or form to you. The second one is professed fealty to Jesus as Lord. And Lord is just a Greek way of saying king. So it's the kingship story. And fealty is this interesting concept that means loyalty. And loyalty only is fleshed out in relational contexts, right? You can't be loyal to someone in a vacuum. Um, so you've got you've got uh, mental affirmation, which is, is true. The, the, the you, I had to know enough about my wife to want to marry her. Yeah. And then there's professed fealty, so I made public declarations of loyalty to my wife. But then, and this is the this is the added one that is I find so compelling. The third one is enacted loyalty to Jesus as king. So you've got professed fealty, mental affirmation, but enacted loyalty to Jesus as king. So when we tell the story about um, Jesus dying on the cross for my sins, and I just have to believe that and receive that in my heart, that construes belief and faith as something that happens primarily internal, uh, terribly to me, and it's something that I have to convince myself of or hold some degree of certainty towards. When the Bible uses the word faith, and when Jesus uses the word faith, they have in mind a relational concept of loyalty or uh, allegiance or friendship or um uh, fidelity is another word, or faithfulness is another word. And here's where marriage is just the best, as we've said a thousand different times, marriage is just the best example of what faith is. Um, a contract is a contract between two parties who trust the contract to execute the outcomes, right? This contract is legally binding, and then we can litigate the terms of the contract if there's trouble. A covenant is a pledge of two parties to each other. Right. And that relational dynamic 
of pledged and enacted loyalty is what the standard definitions of faith miss from Paul and Jesus. And so, yes, there's information that we agree with, of course. I know enough to want to marry this person. I pledge my fealty to them publicly, and there's accountability to that public pledge. You bet. But all of that is zero without the core convictions of enacted loyalty. That, that if, if I got married to somebody and then lived as if I were single, right. right? I slept with other people. We lived apart. I never talked to them. Are you married? And the answer no. is no. You're not married. Even if you said the words, you're not really right. married. And the same thing is true with Jesus. What we've done is paint a scenario where people can pray a prayer um, and then have nothing to do with Jesus and somehow be assured that they're okay. Yeah. And that's just not how uh, Jesus or Paul present. I mean, in fact, Paul talks about something called the obedience of faith. That obedience and faith are, in, in a couple of passages, near synonymous. Or Paul will talk about how we're held accountable for works done in the body. And we'll get to this when we get to works. Works. It works. Um, and so none of these nuances show up in the traditional translations of faith, belief, um, or trust. And so his argument is we should translate faith most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time as allegiance. Yeah, it's interesting because the the marriage analogy. So if you you profess it, you profess your allegiance. You um, what was the second one? I'm so fuzzy. It's okay. You mentally agree. You mentally they, agree. You profess you, it or whatever, and then but it, you could and then not enact the third category, the actual covenantal right part of dynamic. It. Yep. Um, when you think about that in terms of faith, a lot of the systems that we've built, people can enact the first two and because they believe they're doing the third one. That's so right. It'd be like the third. It'd be like if if you were in a some kind of a relational cult, like a polygamous cult, mm-hmm. that said, "Hey, you know, you're gonna profess this partner, but." Um, we're all kind of like everybody is on, you know, everyone's on limits. Can you, is that mm-hmm. the opposite of off limits? On limits? <laughs> In limits? Out, I don't even know. What up, fuzzy? You know what I mean, though. Like, so there. Yeah. It's interesting because yeah. we've we've built a dynamic that says that because you do the first two, the third one is a given. You're doing those first two because of the third, without ever enacting the third. Correct. Yes. 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 It's it's yeah. I mean. Um, let me let me frame it a slightly different way. Please do for for a second. <laughs> um, let's say we have two, and I don't remember where I got this example. I got it from somebody, but let's take the Apostles' Creed, right? Which is a, which is a, a statement of a story of Jesus of Nazareth that we pledge ourselves to. So, I mean, it begins with, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, and kind of goes on. And imagine two people affirming the creed. One of them is humble and loving and truthful and full of life and kind 
and demonstrating right the fruit of God's work in their life. The other one is selfish, angry, judgmental, cold-hearted, and proud, gossips, and is malicious. Do these people share the same faith? Mm. I think that is a fascinating question. And my answer would be no, they do not share the same faith. And so, um, and I'm not saying one has to be perfect and the other not, but if we're talking about faith as a relational and covenantal dynamic, that it is impossible to get married and not have that change your life. It's it's just imp- and, and in virtue of the act itself, the act itself of getting married is transformative, yeah. right? And so faith is construed in a similar way. Faith in the Bible is allegiance. Now, that allegiance can be enacted through verbal affirmation, right? I mean, the thief on the cross, God, will you remember me in your kingdom? It can be enacted through professed loyalty, right? When Peter says, you know, well, that's who the crowd says you are. We believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus says, yes, but differently than you think, right? <laughs> There's, so, so these, absolutely these two things play a part. But in the same way that you can't measure whether a marriage is good or bad based on how good the wedding ceremony was, right? Right. You can't determine somebody's relationship to Jesus just on, on whether they said a few words and were baptized, right? Right. My pledge to my wife isn't to be mindful of the pledge I made 21 years ago. My pledge is to enact loyalty, to have that reality de- define and orient my life in ways that are exclusive to her, none other. Yeah. And so faith turns out to be something that's very similar. And faith, which makes sense, if the, if the climax of the gospel is the enthronement of Jesus as king over a kingdom, that it makes sense that in that kingdom telling, faith would be loyalty. Right. Right? Faith yeah. would be a... So, so for me, faith isn't, isn't only having good theology or being certain of something. Faith is how my wife knows that I love her. She wouldn't point to, I mean, the, if you said, how do you know Mike loves you? She would not say, well, on January 9th in the year 2000, he said these words. Oh, and we, he printed up those vows and they're up on our wall. And I just look at those <laughs> and I know I'm married. Right. right? That would make no sense. Nor would she point to, yep, we go on date nights every week, whether we want to or not. And yep, we do marriage retreat. I mean, but it would be the like the little daily things of life together. Yeah. And the problem is we've been led to believe that all I have to do is point to the ceremony or the outward behaviors and think that that's what marriage is. Yeah. And, and maybe it starts there, but good ones, real ones progress far beyond that starting place. Totally. So that's that's where I'm like, listen, if somebody wants to pray a prayer and accept Jesus into their heart, I love it. Do it. Yeah. And then do it again the, tomorrow. Yeah, and then do it the again start, the next day. The, that's the yes. starting line, not the finish line. And I don't want to give, and I used to do this, give false assurance. Well, hey guys, here's what's right. I just don't, I don't think, I mean, you cannot square the teaching of Jesus with the false assurance of praying a prayer and receive him in your heart. You well, cannot. Man, imagine that I'm not imagined. I don't have to imagine it. I can only imagine the, just the false, like, I just think of youth ministry and, and creating like the magical moments 
dude you know, he's manipulative dude. and i'm saying this uh, what i have done as a youth pastor or speaking at camps creating a manipulative moment so that when a kid does pray that prayer you have incited every emotional response you can and it's like this is what this that's the holy spirit this is what this is and then they leave and they have to try to wrestle through like I don't, I don't feel that anymore or I don't that, right, right. Don't, that whatever. And, and then, and then since they had a false dichotomy set up their initial starting point, I would imagine their trajectory to come back to any allegiance after that is unlikely or yeah. a difficult, a difficult approach. Yes. That's so good Timothy. Now let's say, well, I do think, I do think enacted loyalty is, part of what the bible means by faith yeah it's what separates demons from believers right i just th- I, I just think if you take all the data of the bible when it talks about faith and um grace and works the picture you get is of loyalty i mean i'm just before even before bates said it that was a picture i was i was uh convinced of um it does raise a bunch of questions. And so how does this relate to, to uh, grace, right? Is, is enacted loyalty a work? Is that a deed? Do we get credit for that? Um, when the woman washes the feet of Jesus at the Pharisee dinner, and he says, your faith has saved you. Well, what was it that saved her? Was it the fact that she washed his feet? Was it the faith that led her to believe that? Can you even separate the, the faith that led her to do that from the act itself? Right? So it raises <laughs> it raises great questions. And where does grace come in? Right? Where does grace come in? Because it, it certainly sounds like an act of loyalty means we've got to prove it, show it, you know, demonstrate it. Um and, and how are these not works that when Paul says we're not saved by works, I mean, it sounds like, well, well I mean, enacted loyalty means works, right? You point yeah. to something. So these are fantastic questions. This is the opening salvo to a picture we're going to p- paint about how faith works and um, grace all fit together. All right. So yeah, the yeah. so so the simple idea we we want to um, spend fifty minutes getting across <laughs> is that faith includes mental agreement and professed fealty, but enacted loyalty. That that grace does not make us passive in response, right. but does something. It affects something, even though it's still grace. It affects something in us if it's a, if it's operative. Uh, and that proclaiming that Jesus is king and accepting a place in the kingdom of God or saying that Jesus is Lord, all of that assumes loyalty to Jesus that is that it plays out in relational and covenantal terms. You know what I mean? That's why we don't have to be afraid of doubt because you can be loyal and have all totally. the doubts in the world. Oh yeah. my goodness. Absolutely. Right, that's why lament is given such permission, but is distinguished totally. from sort of stiff-necked doubting yep. uh, or skepticism. Lament in the Bible is is taking all of those complaints, questions, and uncertainties, and going to God with them within right. the covenantal framework. Right, and why that why that gets um, 
I don't know, rewarded or promoted in the Bible is because it's a, it's in uh, in the context of covenant relationship. Yeah. Right? Even if I'm even if I'm struggling in my marriage, that's why we're not afraid when people say, "No, I'm totally struggling in my marriage." Yep. That doesn't mean it's over. That means it's normal. It means that we're in the middle of enacting loyalty to each other, but it's rough yeah. right now. And we've got to work at it. And that's fine because a successful marriage is, by definition, not defined as one without struggle. Right. Nowhere. Right. The struggle is part of the thing. Totally. And that's why, that's why I think these other construals of faith are so damaging. It's like... I can pray for something believing God is perfectly capable of healing somebody with cancer and at the same time have questions about how all of this works. Yep. You know what I mean? So I think that that is the great gift of understanding faith this way. Like if like I used to there was this big debate when I was younger called how, uh, assurance of salvation. Are you once are are you saved um uh once saved always saved. Right. Yep. Was the idea. And, and, and as we've talked about, right, saved is, is, is yes. I mean, am I once saved, always saved? Well, yes and no. You have been saved, are being saved, and will be saved. And so, yes and no. It's this weird sort of way more complex sort of thing. Um, but we would have all of these debates about uh, once saved, always saved. How do you know you're really saved? And, and it changed. That question changed so much when I, when I put it into a marriage context. How do I know I'm married? Right. Is it because I have a ring on? No, I cannot have the ring on and still be married. Is it because we go on a date night every week, which we don't? Uh, but if we did, <laughs> we, you know, well, Sounds no, you nice. can, you can, <laughs> I'll take a date uh, once every six months. Yeah. Um, yeah, kids ruin that. Just l- ladies and gentlemen, newsflash. Newsflash. Um, <laughs> Enough of us were fruitful and multiplied. Some of you don't have to do that, and you can just go on your yeah, dates. Yeah, we're good. We're good. Just go on <laughs> dates. Just date. Like, rescue a couple of puppies. No, don't do that either, actually. Don't rescue puppies? No. Oh, that'll ruin it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you just got a puppy. Um, but the idea is that that I'm not... My marriage doesn't consist consists of my prior pledge of marriage right it consists of what's happening right now and and that's why doubts or struggles it was a huge deal when we first got married and i don't know it was like year three or four and and you just have this moment of oh man did i marry the wrong person oh yeah you know what i mean and we just had these great older couples that were like oh dude totally everybody has that and it felt so good to know yeah because in the marriage analogy I had in my head, I had to be 100% awesome in marriage for it to count. Yeah. In the same way, I have to be 100% certain for <clears throat> faith to count. And it was just great to know, no, that's not how it works. Well, that's what they told us in youth group. Dude, if you just, if you just hold out, it'll be wonderful. It'll be like just fireworks every day. Yeah. Um, and that's true, but the fireworks weren't the good kind. <laughs> they just weren't what I was expecting. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, friends, we'll stop it here. See? See? We See? we kept it. We just made a point. Not too terrible. I didn't get into all this exegesis stuff. If you are interested though, Bates' book is great and uh Big Knight's book is great. But um 
And if you're tempted to react and be like, dude, you are so like, what happened to justification by faith alone? Um, come on, man, you're denying essential part. Um, no. And it'll become more clear. It'll become more clear. You're wrong. It'll become more clear as we talk about what grace is and what works are. Now, of course, we're oversimplifying always. Always. And there's so many good theological debates about it. But when Jesus says, when he sees the, the, the four men lowering the paralytic through the hole in the roof, the text says Jesus saw their faith. Mm-hmm. I just think faith is something that you see. Mm. It's not, it includes believing something maybe in my heart, but it's something that you see. It's like love. Love is something you see. It's not something you say. It's not something you convince yourself of. It's something that you see. You can see when two people love each other. So I want to take faith out of the realm of believing as mental agreement, although it includes that, and believing or faith as simply saying I believe, although it includes that, want to bring it into the realm of where I think Jesus and Paul said it, which is um, enacted loyalty or allegiance to Jesus that has real world uh, dynamic and relational implications. It's like, it's that weird tandem where, yeah, it's simplified and in some ways it is really simple. And then at the same time, it's exactly the thing that the guy emailed in last week and was like, why does it take six PhDs and totally all these episodes just to talk about save? But there is a weird yeah, like tandem between the simplicity and the complexity Yep, that kind of makes it beautiful and amazing but i don't know that's that's an interesting dance to have to be a part of continually just the simplicity and then the complexity and letting both have their place and both have their time and and uh, and the big point of this whole conversation has been see how differently those words work depending on the prior story you tell of what the gospel is yes if the gospel is jesus and his kingdom then of course, faith is like loyalty to Jesus as King. Yeah. Um, if faith, if if salvation is a me-centered forgiveness story, then faith is a mental agreement with with certain things that you know doesn't necessarily lead me to then commit. And we have words for this, like. You know, they've accepted Jesus as Savior, but not Lord. And it's like, no, no, no. Those two words are the same word. Um, Not literally, but it's the same concept. You can't do that. There's only accepting Jesus as Lord. Is that Paul doing the, um, should I sin so that? um, So grace may increase? Yes. Yes. No, that's really, that's a very, very complicated text, but it depends what you mean by grace. Right. So we're going to look at a guy named John Barclay who said that in the ancient world, there are six ways that you could perfect the idea of grace um, and express the idea of grace. The relationship between the giver and the, the gift, the relationship between the, the giver and the audience, the relationship, I mean, between the worthiness of the giver and the worthlessness of the recipient. Like, there are all these different ways to sort of map out how grace is understood. Hmm. And so many of the debates about grace get confused because we mean different things by it. But Paul right. has one, one thing he emphasizes 
in particular. And it's Don't that one. It. Nope, it's that one he camps on. And, um, and that's the one that we can square with faith being understood as a, uh, a, a, recip uh, a reciprocal, excuse me, pledge of loyalty. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense in that con. That's what I was trying to reference, that it doesn't make sense with the just pray for forgiveness or pray the thing and then, because then you're just kind of like, your response to that is like, you write a thank you note? Like, right, right, right. And, pray and prayer, I'm forgiven. That's cool. Thank you so much. Now let's just continue with our regular scheduled program. Well, and here's what N.T. Wright says that I find so interesting. That, see, we hear forgiveness of sins, and we hear that as we paint a legal picture of totally, crime absolutely. and punishment. Yep. And that, that, is, that forensic picture is not what was in the minds of ancient Israel when they used forgiveness of sins. Hmm. The idea of forgiveness of sins was that God was creating a people with whom he had nothing against and could dwell among. So forgiveness of sins in the legal sense was a part of that, but it was a relational concept. And in forgiveness of sins, um, Gombus has argued, is one of the other names for the new creation space. That space is called the forgiveness of sins. Hmm. But it's, it's not just the forensic transaction of sin and righteousness. Um, so, so even when we use that language, forgiveness of sin, we're still imputing totally. a legal framework into it that wasn't there. So I, I just that's just for extra. That's bonus points. That's how our brains understand it. All right. What if you had to pick one song from the eighties that would you you would declare enacted loyalty to? Like I'll give you mine right now. <laughs> okay. Okay. I know. Look at the wheels are turning, man. He's squinting. He's looking at things. He's playing with his beard. There's a lot of facial reactions to this question. I want to tell you mine, Timothy. I want you to look okay. at me. I want you to look away. I'm looking at you. Yes. Toto's Africa <laughs> is my, I will enact loyalty to that song uh, any day of the week. And not the Weezer, not the Weezer version, which is no. just fine. Yeah. But the original. It'd be a toss up between Springsteen's Tougher Than The Rest or Ooh. Tears Ooh. For Fears Head Over Heels. Oh, nice. All right. Well, with that in mind, dear listener, the one who's made it to the very end, we think you are pretty awesome. And we thank you for listening to this in 15-second skip-ahead chunks at twice faith, the speed. Faith, faith. Faith. Yeah, we have faith. faith. We have faith you're out there. It's literally the evidence of what's unseen because I'm just looking at Tim going, how could anyone listen to this stuff and find it helpful? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't even so know anyway, what we just talked about. I'm going to have to go back and listen when my head's not fuzzy. We got to have faith, the faith, the faith. Did though. this just happen? It did. And there was, did a faith, it? there was a Faith Hill reference. If you don't know that it happened, did it happen? Yeah, that's the thing. Dallas Willard is such a great... D. Willie. D. Willie has such a great line about reality. He's like, you want to know what reality is? It's what you run into when you're wrong. Oh, that's interesting. I was like, Dad, I love that. Okay. 
have to think we've, about that. We've lost, we've lost him entirely. <laughs> you know what else is a great soundtrack is Lost Boys. Oh yeah, cry, little sister. Yeah, yeah. I still I love that movie. That's a good movie. Yeah, that was a very good movie. Anyway, okay, uh, Gen Xers out. We love you guys. I've been putting in a foghorn for the over 40 references. Oh, I love that. Foghorn leghorn. Okay, bye. I'm going to go fall down now. <laughs>Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Voxology. You can also... Join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials. Facebook.com backslash Voxology Podcast and on Instagram at Voxology. Thank you, thank you, thank you for walking the long road with us.